In the name of one God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. There is a lot of drama going on in the Old Testament lesson today. There is setup and suspense and suspicion, and there's revelation and reckoning and reconciliation. In fact, today's story is the beginning of the end of a major, ultimate family drama. Center stage is the youngest of 12 sons, and he is most definitely favored. He also has a bit of an attitude problem in that like, he has dreams about how he'll be better than his brothers and then has the audacity to go and tell his brothers about it. You can imagine this got a little bit old. He also didn't have to go work in the same way that his brothers did. So at some point, the brothers plot to kill him and then decide, well, it's a really better idea if they just sell him into slavery and then tell their father that they killed him. Hmm, great. So Joseph lands in Egypt as a slave, but then his master's wife tries to seduce him and then blames it on Joseph, and he ends up in jail. But while in jail, two of Pharaoh's workers are in prison briefly for something that they did that dismayed Pharaoh, and they have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams for them very well and accurately. And so later, Pharaoh has a dream, but none of his dream interpreters can really figure out the meaning. And so these two workers say, sir, there's someone down in the jail who knows what's going on. Really, you should go and talk to him. And so Pharaoh has Joseph come up and tells him his dream. And Joseph says, ah, yes, this means that there will be seven years of good harvest followed by seven years of horrible famine. And here's what you should do to solve the problem. Given his wisdom and his faith, given his savvy, Joseph then, over time, becomes advisor to Pharaoh and actually a great ruler in his own right in the land of Egypt. And just as Pharaoh foresaw and Joseph interpreted, there were indeed seven years of harvest and then seven years of famine across the land, not just Egypt, but including Canaan where Joseph was from. So as the famine worsens, word gets out that Egypt has grain, and so the father of these 12 sons sends 10 of them to Egypt, begging for provisions to see them through. Of course, who else do they meet with? But their long-lost, pesky little brother, only they don't know it's him. They don't know that they're talking to the very brother they sold into slavery. Joseph knows who they are, but they're clueless. So he sets them up a little bit. He keeps giving them a hard time. How do I know you're generous? How do I know you're good people? How do I know this is right? Tell me your story. And so they tell them about how they are 10 brothers and there's 11th at home and there was a 12th who died and it was all very sad. And he says, I'm not going to trust you until you bring me your 11th brother. And they say, oh, it's our father's beloved. It would be really hard. And Joseph is like, no, I'm not doing it. And so they finally end up going all the way back to Cana. Joseph sends them with grain and doesn't even allow them to pay for it. So they're a little curious what's going on here. They go all the way back to Cana. They get Benjamin. They come all the way back to Egypt. And then once they're back in Egypt, 
Joseph messes with them a little bit more and he brings them in and he brings them to his house and then he sends them away again with provisions only he plays a little trick he tells the servant to put a silver cup in Benjamin's knapsack as they go and so they are loaded with their grain and they are leaving again and a servant comes up to Benjamin or comes up to the group and says you know someone took my master's silver cup and they all look in their packs and there is Benjamin with it and you have to wonder what exactly is going on the suspicion builds because Joseph is being nice and yet he's being a little bit of a trickster and what is this I mean these are the brothers that tried to kill him they separated him from his family from his beloved father just what is up with Joseph and as we can tell the brothers are a little bit off kilter also here is this man who not once but now twice has sent them away with provisions not even asking for anything in return what is his game what is he doing you can tell the brothers there they're a bit off of balance and Joseph keeps the game going he is good at this because he doesn't let on that he knows who they are and in fact he uses an interpreter pretending he can only speak the Egyptian language to interpret to these brothers who have come and so once Benjamin is found with the stolen cup um, Joseph threatens to take him into custody and is going to keep him um, as a slave or in jail in Egypt in Judah one of the brothers says you cannot do this I promised my father I would bring him home please please take me in his place and that that is exactly where today's Old Testament reading begins it's only when Judah steps up to protect Benjamin to care for Jacob their father that Joseph tells all of the Egyptian servants and people in this room to leave and he is left in this room facing his 11 brothers and he looks at them and he says it's me Joseph your brother and Joseph in this moment he's known to weep from time to time but Joseph is so overcome with emotion that he weeps this huge ginormous ugly cry I mean it was loud all the Egyptians could hear it outside and you have to wonder was it relief or joy was it anger or was it just a big ball of emotions that needed to be expressed and so here is Joseph crying and his brothers well they're still a little bit off balance they realize even if this is their pesky little brother he has all of the power all of the control all of the authority and they didn't do him just a little bit wrong they did him really really wrong and the brothers upon hearing who this man who stands before them is it says the brothers were dismayed 
And Joseph doesn't stop when he sees their hesitant reactions. Instead, he moves in, he leans in, and he gets closer to them and says, no, really, it's me, Joseph, your brother. And in the mind's eye, I can see the other 11 all kind of looking at each other and maybe looking for a quick exit because they don't know what to expect next. But Joseph, Joseph grounded in his faith and in his wisdom and in his life experience, realizes that reconciliation is the way of God. And so Joseph tells them to let go of their guilt and their shame and their blame. And he tells them that their actions were a part of God's wider plan. That he, Joseph, was sent ahead to secure food and land for them. And that because of this, their family will survive the the famine. And all of that was part of God's plan. And then Joseph goes to Benjamin, his only real blood brother in this, or full blood brother, both of them the sons of Rachel. He goes to Benjamin and embraces him and they weep. And then Joseph embraces each of his brothers. And then, and only then, when it is clear what his choice is, Do the brothers speak to Joseph? The 11 brothers' betrayal of Joseph is not small, and yet Joseph's faith saw him through. Joseph's faith put God with him when he was a slave, put God with him when he was imprisoned, and put God with him even when he came into power in Egypt. God was with him when he came face to face with his brothers after all those years of betrayal. And while at this point in the book of Genesis, up until now, God often appears, we call it a theophany, God appears in some form to people as he did to Abraham, as he did to Jacob. Joseph, Jacob's son, never sees God in that way, but he still knows that God is guiding his life in this very moment and always. And Joseph knows as a faithful man that God's ways, while they can be mysterious or harsh, that they always lean towards love and relationship and reconciliation and peace. You might ask, why am I retelling this whole story today? Well, first of all, it's a great story and we should hear it. But also this week as I was thinking about the Joseph story, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Snap Judgment, and it's uh, people telling their own stories with a little bit of enhancement throughout And not always, but often at the end of their podcast, Glenn Washington, who is the the head guy for Snap Judgment, the voice of it, I should say, he says this. This is one of his sign-offs. It is hard. It is difficult. It is almost impossible to hate someone if 
you know their story. And this week, St. Cross began a discussion about racism and social justice. And also the election, if you haven't noticed, ratcheted up just a notch. And as we discussed racism, the hope was to start with our own stories, was where each of us is. But as both the topics of racism and election have been in people's minds, I have noticed that on many public fronts, especially social media, people are going straight for the jugular. And what does our faith tell us? What does God with us tell us? It says that this type of actions, these types of actions will solve nothing. And we all know it's not the way to convince anyone of every anything. For you see, story is important. Story is what connects us. And namely, we are connected through God's story. But not only that, but we are connected through God working in us and through us and us sharing that good news. Story is what reminds us to respect the dignity of every human being. Story is what demands that we listen to one another during this difficult time. Story reminds us that we need to ask questions with respect. We need to state facts without taking away someone's dignity, no matter how angry or disgusting this other person's point of view is, or no matter how much we'd like to discount them. Know that every human being, every one of God's creation has a story just like Joseph has just like you have and I have. And remember that it is almost impossible to hate someone if you know their story. Amen.